Hey guys, it's Bridget, and I'm back with episode two of My Best Vintage Life. Today, I have Art Bazar Canyon with me. He's the president and CEO of Baz Brothers Vintage, and he's also my boss. The jefe. The jefe. Uh, we've been working together since 2013, so five years now. We met in 2014, which was my first trip to California, and I started working for him in 2016. So I know a lot about art, but you guys probably don't know nearly as much as me. So I thought I'd give him a chance to introduce himself. So Art, tell me a little bit about where you're from. Well, I was actually born in Beirut, Lebanon. And my family and I moved here in 1976 during the Civil Wars. And we lived in L.A. for about a month. My parents hated it. And we moved up here because my aunt lived up here. And we've been in Fresno ever since. Okay. Did you go to school for fashion or do you have a background in fashion? Absolutely. I'm probably the best dressed guy I know. (laughs) No, no. I went to school for biochemistry. Oh, you have a few degrees, right? Well, yes. Tell me. Tell me about them. Which degrees? I I want to hear all of them because this is really impressive, guys. Well, I have a biochemistry degree from USC. That's Go Trojans. And then I went to chiropractic school and got my doctorate and a master's too a master's in anatomy wow that's that's impressive i mean i've always liked science but those are those are some hard subject areas science always fascinated me and especially health sciences i always wanted to figure out a way to help people and continue to learn so i chose chiropractic but Unfortunately, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. So you did practice? I did practice. I practiced in Pasadena for about a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved the patients, enjoyed the challenge, but I hated dealing with insurance companies and the business component of it, which was disheartening more than anything else because you weren't really trying to help people, it seemed like. It seemed like you were playing a game to get paid, and that's not why I went into taking care of people and healthcare. So I needed to figure out something. But while I was going to chiropractic school, I had started doing what you guys would call these days side hustles. So one of them was going to thrift stores and buying things. And it was all sorts of things. I mean, books, furniture. Well, you didn't start out with just clothing, right? No, clothing. There were predecessors to clothing. Enormous predecessors, (laughs) as you would say. Uh, We started out with books. I bought books. I bought furniture. I liked furniture that was cool and shiny, which I didn't know was Mm mid-modern. But I just liked it because it was curvy and shiny. And next thing you know, those were Hayward Wakefields and Eames. So it's still very relevant today. Absolutely. And this was back in 1994, 5, 6. So I graduated chiropractic school in 96. And I practiced for a year. And then I started this business in 97. With my brother Rafi, who was at the time going to University of Washington, studying to be a teacher. He was up there in the grunge era. Oh, man. He was flannel. So for Christmas, I would just get him a flannel every year. (laughs) Green flannel to match his green eyes. (laughs) I think you said you saw some cool bands when you were there that weren't popular at the time, but became very... You know, popular in that grunge movement. Yeah, that was cool. It was a place called uh, Pioneer Square. Uh-huh. And you'd pay five bucks or ten bucks. And you'd be able to go bar to bar. So I saw Candlebox, Nirvana. Uh, there was another one. Pearl Jam. 
So all these 90s bands that were really cool. Fishbone. Do you remember Fishbone? Or Fishhead? Mm. Or some part of a fish? Sounds familiar. <laughs> I know the first three. Yeah. So, but that sounds like a nice experience. Yeah, it was cool. So what made you guys stick with clothing and not stick with the other things like the books or the ba- – I know you did baseball cards. Well, baseball cards was our business back in the when I was in high school. I started that. Had one of the first accounts with Upper Deck when they first came out in 89, which was pretty cool. Um, but it was actually Jordans. We were into Nikes and shoes because I loved Michael Jordan. I mean, and it so fascinated me. And then I realized, you know, Asians, specifically Japanese and the Hong Kong market, they were nuts over them. And then I could find these things at yard sales. and It was pretty lucrative. Hell yeah, I was making some serious money. <laughs> yeah. It was lucrative. Well, I don't know. I <coughs> buying some for two bucks. Too, then. Yeah, I was, we're buying two bucks, five bucks, selling 300, 400. So it was like a quick jump start. That's nice. Yeah. Um, so I have some listener questions for you if you're up for answering them. Oh, man, on the fly. On the fly. <laughs> All right, so question number one comes from our listener, Montana. She wants to know, what makes a vintage piece worth more than its original retail value? What gives it its value? Value is predicated upon what someone else is willing to pay for it. So it's pretty much the same thing as you would see in cars, coins, but rarity, condition, and how badly somebody else wants it. I mean, so the I, market demand. Yeah, but there's also some intrinsic factors too, though. It's, it's just condition, relevance, and maker. I mean, a pair of Levi's from 1925 is worth probably 20 times another brand that's made in the same era. It's just, you know, it's like the a name. card. Yeah. Yeah, name, demand, and then intrin- the history that goes behind it as well. Okay. Good answer. Great question, Montana. <laughs> Um, the next question is from, well, her Instagram says Lexandra, which I'm assuming might be short for Alexandra. Um, she can correct me if I'm wrong on that. She said, do you think the quality, do you think that quality vintage clothing will eventually cease to exist? She said that she finds that thrift stores are stocked with more garbage clothing than vintage items, uh, specifically silk shirts and vintage denim. So what she's saying is she used to be able to find a lot of silk shirts, vintage denim, and now it's just more of the trash clothing, the you know, the um, kind of like turn and burn clothing that we see today. Another great question. But I think what's happening with the vintage that you're used to is it's getting picked before it actually makes it onto the thrift store floor. There's so m- much of a demand for it so you have people getting it before it even gets there but vintage will never end because right now people consider 90s vintage and 90s stuff when we started out we were like what the heck no one's gonna want this but everybody wants that now so it's relative so in about 10 years the made in usa stuff will always be vintage so i would hang on to that but if it's made in china or some crappy place just toss it it's not vintage yeah. Shitty quality. Shitty quality. Okay. Um, the next question comes from our friend Joey Juju Salisbury. Um, if anybody's ever heard me mention the name Joey, Joey was a coworker of mine on the renewal team at Urban. 
Uh, he actually had two questions for Art. One of them, though, was a question that I'm going to ask. So I'm going to ask his other one now. So he wants to know, what are your thoughts on the reselling trend that is going on now? Supreme as the example. Is that helping or hurting? So he kind of used the example of how people are buying Supreme and selling it for, you know, an insane amount of money. I personally don't like it because it keeps it out of the hands of the people who appreciate it. I didn't like it back in the day when people were doing that with Jordans. They would wait in line, buy a pair for 150 and they were flipping it for 250 the next day. I didn't like that. I think the true the person that actually carries it isn't the wealthiest person. So no, I don't like that at all. Sounds pretty greedy to me. Absolutely. I don't like that. So. It's not like they're out there to appreciate the no. product. They're out there just to make some money. Yeah, because most of the guys that do it aren't they don't care about the product. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to make money and it's kind of greed. Me and my brother never got into this for the money aspect of it. We actually love Jordans. We love the design. We grew up with Jordans. So that's what that was our first thing. And then we just evolved our business around what we could learn. And we treated each category as a as one of my science classes. So that's the vigor I took into it, whether it was military, denim, or my brother loved Hawaiian shirts for some reason. So he I became remember an, you telling me that. Yeah, he yeah. became an expert on Hawaiian shirts. I mean, he wrote, like, we started with, believe it or not, we started selling our stuff on eBay back in 1996, 97, the first year eBay came out. My brother was amazing with his descriptions. He had people falling in love with the shirts without even seeing the shirts because his descriptions were unreal. And, yeah. Sounds like your brother. He has a way with words, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. He's very... Uh, he talk himself out of anything. Or get you to buy something that that's you really true. don't need. <laughs> yeah, they're very eloquent and flowy descriptions. Well, thanks, guys, for your listener questions. Um, I have a few of my own, if you're you, up for it. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so... Shoot away! And this was actually uh, the question Joey had as well. So, what is the most valuable item you have ever found, and did you choose to sell it? A pair of buckle backs from 1918, and yes, I sold it. You did? Yes. Can you say for how much? 12000 $12,000 for a pair of jeans? For a pair of jeans. Was it to a Japanese client? No. It wasn't. Interesting. Because they're usually the ones that spring to spend more on the denim. It was a person who was buying it to sell it to a Japanese corporation who was using it, similar to how American corporations will buy artworks and they'll write it off and have it hanging in their lobbies. So it's basically going to be seen as like a, a work Museum of art. piece, correct. Oh, okay. So. Interesting. All right. What, what Japanese culture is kind of cool because they, like here, good luck trying to do that as a company, mm-hmm. trying to buy a piece of denim and saying, oh, this is, unless you're Levi's because they have an archive, but anybody else can't get away with it. Over there, corporations can buy clothing and say it's intrinsic work of art, which is cool. That is cool. And, and you, get a right off. Yeah, and unique. I've, I've never heard of anything like that. So my next question is, what is one item that you have found but you refuse to sell? There really isn't anything I refuse to sell. There are just some things I'm not well, selling right now. Well, sentimental or something that you think is historically important or... Yeah, I do have a collection of uh, bomber jackets that I don't sell. I just keep in a box. Yeah, and we don't sell the 9-11 stuff, really. We Never. keep that. Yeah. Absolutely not. I would feel weird selling it. I think no. it's important to keep it. Yeah. 
just like that one beautiful embroidered denim shirt we yeah. have. That's like yeah. one of my favorite pieces. We have it hanging up in the warehouse. I think it's just a nice daily reminder, you know, of what happened and to never forget that day. So, okay. So next question. What is your best celebrity run-in selling vintage and also your worst celebrity run-in selling vintage? And I know you have some really good celebrity stories, so best and worst. That's not fair because I don't want to be mean to anybody. You know me. It's not, it's not mean. I'm just, okay, at least answer the best part because that, that's Who, my nice. favorite person to work with? No, a really nice experience you had with a celebrity at some point in time selling vintage. Okay. One of my favorite people I work with regularly back in the day was Jason Momoa. He's as humble as they get, and he loves vintage. He tries to incorporate vintage in all his sets and all his movies, and he's a down-to-earth good guy. So Jason Momoa. Honestly, yeah. I didn't even know who he was until, until I started working with you. So, Yeah, he's got a movie coming out. Yeah. His own. Yeah, he's uh, the lead in Aquaman. Oh, yeah, the, and, the, yeah, the he did the Marvel, stuff. Marvel movies. Yeah. Okay, well, you don't have to say a worse one, it's then. It's DC, by the way. Oh, oh, God. All right. Hey, just saying. No one send me hate mail for that, please. Um, we'll, we'll skip the worst one, I guess. Yeah, there's some that are just jerks, but my brother deals with the Hollywood people. Yeah. I'm fortunate I only have to deal with... Me? You. Yeah. <laughs> um... What's your favorite clothing brand of all time? Oh, I would say military. I know it's not a brand, but I love the construction of the military. Like the cargo pant. The M51 cargo pant is the most perfect pair of pants ever designed. It was designed in 1951. And every single company from J. Crew, Ralph Lauren, Gap, uh, Lauren. Banana, Lauren. Lauren. <laughs> Everybody and their mother has copied that, and it is the most perfect. And then engineering and the tech sheets that go into it. So the military, to me, is by far the best producer of well, garments in this country. That's not surprising. I mean, I feel like you and Rafi, your your bread and butter is is surplus. So and denim. Yes and no, but at the same time, I appreciate quality. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, what is a vintage trend? that like what is one vintage trend that you think is the most cyclical that just keeps coming back like you see it and then it goes away and then it comes back surplus 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 and denim uh right now there's a we're on the crest of denim denim's been very I feel strong like denim's never really went away though you know it's the cuts that go away yeah you get baggy uh-huh. you get tight you get you know boot cut flare boot cut flare high waist low right now we're in the high waist phase Soon yeah. we'll go back to the hip, but it seems like the inseams are getting shorter and shorter. Yeah, people like the crop look. Is that the crop look, or is it the show the booty look? Well, inseam would be for cropping. Yeah, or also for the Daisy Dukes. Oh, well, yes. I thought you were talking about long denim. Both. You're talking about shorts. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I mean a shorter inseam with a short. Yeah, you're going to show more booty, and shorts are pretty... pretty uh, Scandalous. Yeah, I was going to say skanky these days, but yeah, oh, scandalous yeah, is probably scandalous a little bit nicer, nicer way to say it. Um, Yeah. Okay. So denim and surplus. Anything else you can think of that you think is cyclical? Um, More of an, like, not really. No. I'm trying to think, like, what's been in cycles that come? Like, there's, there's, here's the thing. There's, like, 
different cycles. Like, you know, you have a lunar cycle, which is 30 days, but then you can have a solar cycle, which is only 24 hours. So denim and surplus are cycles that happen a lot more frequently than bowling shirts come in or you'll get stadium jackets. Well, they're kind of cycling within themselves in a way. Like you said, the denim with the different cuts, whereas like bowling shirts are bowling shirts, Hawaiian shirts are Hawaiian shirts. You know, not that there's not subgenres within them, but I feel like there's so much more to denim as an umbrella, you know, underneath it. True. And surplus. So, yeah, I think that's... And eras. Eras are cyclical as well. Yep. You know? We had our 60s, 70s, 80s. Now we're at the tail end of the 90s. Mm -hmm. 90s stuff has been strong for the last two to three years. So we have a lot of Japanese clients. Um, Why do you think the Japanese have such a strong love of vintage? A lot of it has to do with uh, identity. In Japan, teenagers don't get a chance to express themselves like they do here where kids can buy a car, I'm a truck guy, or show their self-expression through vehicles, bikes. In Japan, cars are very, very expensive, so it was clothing. And American clothing made them feel cool. And it kind of started in about 1983, 84, which was interesting to me, that they had such a strong demand for American clothing, especially 501s and the military and a lot of it had to do with James Dean, just, you know, rebel without a cause. He's as cool as it gets. It's kind of like an odd time, though, for that to take place. I mean, rebel without a cause was so many years before the 80s. I'm just kind of, it's just, in my mind, it's like, when exactly did it start? Can you pinpoint when yeah, it started? 1983-84. It didn't start before then? No, not in terms of the vintage trade going back and forth. And the first things was uh, military mm-hmm. and blue Levi's denim. Yeah. Trucker jackets, those. And what's crazy to think about is everything that they were buying then was all red lines because everything was red lines then. Can you explain what red lines are? Because some people listening might not know what that means. Yeah. Um, it's Red lines are the the seams that you see on the side of Levi's pants that were made from 1983 and earlier. And when it's the end of the fabric roll. It's called a selvage. Mm-hmm. And usually they had red ticking. Levi's had red ticking. J.C. Penney's foremost had blue ticking. Lee had yellow ticking. And it's just at the end of the fabric, and so it's the quality of it is better. And it also helps determine the age of the item. It's like one of the things collectors look for. And how would you go about looking for it? You flip the bottom leg seam mm-hmm. and you look for it. But because Levi's is you know, repop their own yes. stuff yeah. with LVC and all the other stuff. So now you have to look at other things instead of just the bottom red. Right. You know. It's a lot of self-education, Denim. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, we've made so many mistakes, but we also learn from our mistakes, and that's the fun of it. And I still get excited to come in and dig through our buys because I'm going to see something I haven't seen or learned something new. And it's like, easy to make those mistakes. I bought a vintage purse once that I thought was, um, what was it, a vintage Dior purse. And I bought it from a vintage shop, and I had to take it back to the lady. And it was really hard to look her in the eye. And, I mean, I didn't want to embarrass her, but, you know, I said I did enough research, and this this isn't real. So she gave me my money back, which was nice. Yeah, that's refreshing. I'm glad yeah. she was able to do that. This has some integrity, at least. 
Exactly. Plus, it's an honest mistake. A lot of times, I've seen it happen. People sell something thinking what it is, and you know it happens on eBay all the time. Because I occasionally still buy things on eBay, and I see people listing something that's made in 2006 and saying it's 1940s. I'm like, uh, you might want to change that. Yeah, before... and they might not even know. Oh, they don't know. It's yeah. it's honest mistake because they they're not looking at all the details. You know. Right. So. I have talked about a lot of designers and brands that we work with, but I thought it might be interesting to talk about what um, some TV and or film productions that we've provided Vintage for. I feel like I've never really touched upon that. You know, back when I was more in L.A., we did the 70s show, which was really cool because we got to dress uh, the cast of characters. Their stylists would come in into the... L.A. Warehouse, where we were in Sun Valley. Mm-hmm. So that was one of our early area, early days. And so we would do rock t-shirts, uh, puffer jackets for Kelso. Was it mostly the men or the women on the show, too? Both. Both. Because, you know, certain, certain things are, un- I mean, that girl, I forgot her name, the redheaded girl, the tall one. Oh, yeah. She'd wear some uh, raglans. Yeah, she did. And, she wore uh, raglans a uh, lot. Yeah, so. Donna? Donna. Her name that's on the her, show. That is Donna. her name, yeah. yeah. So. Hmm. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, well, we did Stranger Things recently. Stranger Things. Their Preacher. Their came in. Preacher, which is AMC. The, what was it? The Inglorious. Inglorious Bastards. Yep. And then there's another one, the 12. There was Sylvester Stallone, Jason Stratham, all those guys. Oh. It's the, it's a movie. war movie, but the, we did all the coveralls and all their wardrobe, because the wardrobe stylist goes to... The L.A. Warehouse. Yeah. Would you say it's mostly, well, I mean, obviously not for the 70s show, but I bet a good bit of it was probably surplus stuff. For the milk? For those other ones? for production, yeah. Yeah. And then plus all those Not Stranger Things, though. No, not Stranger Things. Um, Well, that's, I'm glad we got to talk about that, because that's something that I feel like, when I was on I Love You, Man, I know I didn't talk about that. I talked about brands, but I didn't talk about any kind of production. There's, There's so many more smaller productions. There's The Arts District is where our other warehouse is. There's things going on on a daily basis, yeah. so the stylists come in for that. But there's a couple of really cool movies that we we did that I just don't remember because I remember sending them to my brother, and then he sends them out. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. So we get somebody in there at least once a week. What uh, would you say is the greatest challenge of working with your sibling? Because I don't think a lot of people could work with their brother or sister or both in a in a family setting like that. What would you say is the greatest challenge? The greatest challenge? Well, that's a hard one because I mean, I think everything is a challenge. You just have to find ways to overcome them. But if you dwell on the challenge, you'll never overcome it. Do you feel like there's a specific issue that you guys run into over time? An issue that you have run into? Because we're siblings? Yeah. No? Not really. I think it's the fact that we're siblings makes us so strong and getting stronger even after 20 years. Is because we have a love and a mutual respect, and we know what the other one does is just as hard as what the other one does. And balancing, you know, taking care of kids and everything else. Okay. So you've faced a lot of challenges getting to where you are today on a personal level. Uh, What is your recipe for success despite adversity? Faith. Sweat. Love. Yeah. Yeah. Faith, sweat, and love. Yeah. Throw those in a little pot, <laughs> stir it around, and and make it happen. 
nothing. I mean, you can't quit regardless of what other people think. I mean, me and my brother started this business with 250 bucks each. We chipped in 250 bucks and I had to convince him, please send me 250 because I've got this thing. I want to buy some dirty old shoes. And he's like, you're crazy. Don't do it. And that was my first buy. I bought four cages of Nike shoes. And within a week, I turned that $500 into $5,000 and still had 80% of the shoes. So just go for it. I think that's really good. That could be like a, you'll see that some crafty person could make that into a a saying. Was it faith, faith, sweat, and love? Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it's true. Don't be afraid to sweat. Have faith, not just in yourself, but have faith for, from above. Believe in yourself and, you know, love. You know, you got to put it out there and know if you expect to receive it. That's a good answer. I like that. So I have one last question for you, and I um, was just wondering what it's like working with a genius like me. <laughs> a genius? The definition. The def- that's, no, that's a fake question. That's not. No, let me tell you what it's like working with you. Um, it's actually that's the exciting part of what I do at work. Sometimes you can get in a rut where you've been doing something for a long time, but when you have somebody with a different perspective, a different vision, it evolves. And me and my brother are so lucky to have you working with us because you're frustrated with us because we're not moving at your pace when it comes to the evolution of our company but we see it we recognize your greatness and we're slowly adding it to our repertoire and eventually we're going to get to where you want us to be we're just not at your pace yet well you make me sound like i don't know like i have these lofty expectations they're not I mean, lofty i do i they're do not lofty. That's, that's those are my goals too but <laughs> you know Good. It's just sometimes we have to go at the pace that we can grow and not lose our identity. Yeah. I never want to be to the point where I'm so successful I'm a dick to people. No. You know? No one wants to be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Well, Art, thank you for being here. And by here, I mean thanks for walking five feet into my office and doing this. I just, I have a question for you. Yeah. What's it like having an office bigger than your boss's? Oh my God. All right. So guys, listen, my office was kind of like a rec room for arts kids. There was a very large couch in here with a TV and toys. And I kind of brought it up to him that it wasn't really being used anymore by his kids. And it was kind of just a waste of space. So... It was his idea to make it my office. My office was in a very far, remote part of the warehouse that you couldn't even get to from inside of the warehouse. I thought it was a great idea. I could be super close to your office. Yeah, look at me. Look at you. (laughs) So, yes, my office is larger than Art's. I have offered multiple times. You have lights. Oh, my God. All right. He has lights. I'm going to do a video of you when you're least expecting it. Follow the podcast Instagram at my best vintage life, and I'm going to start doing videos of my office and, and Art's office so you can. And see. you have an intern in here all the time. Yes, Golden Beauty. Golden Beauty is um, a mannequin that somehow ended up in my office when I was away last winter with my friend Ellie. She 
somehow got down here when I was gone. <laughs> and um, honestly, I think she's really cool. It's like a completely gold mannequin, and she has like the shimmery metallic look to her. Um, and right now she's wearing an old uh, shearling fur coat of mine that I can no longer wear here in Fresno because it's just – it's never going to get that cold here, and I don't want to sell it to anyone. <laughs> so, it is cool. She's... It's a really beautiful coat. But uh, Golden Beauty is our unspoken intern, the intern of all time. Yeah, especially when she wore that Fila hat and that striped shirt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she was dressing like me for a little while. But anyways – um, thank you for being here and for answering for both me. the listener questions and my questions. So our next episode will go live on the 29th. And I think at this point in time, um, it's going to feature me. And then the next episode after that, I will be doing an interview with someone. That's probably kind of been the most tricky part of this process is kind of getting a timeline set up and getting in touch with people and you know getting their episodes recorded and a lot of people that i'm going to be speaking to it's going to be remote uh most people that i want to talk to aren't here in fresno no it's fresno that sounds so it has mean. nothing to do with fresno no it's, it's just, nothing to do it'd with be fresno. cool to it's give just, a different perspective yeah, on vintage i want the country. i want this to be you know a podcast that's heard all around the nation not just Why california not the world? or you the got, world yeah hey, but you I'm, got some I'm, japanese customers that would love to talk to you that's ah bridge that's true that's true so everyone have a very happy thanksgiving um i have a lot to be thankful for and if you're listening i am grateful for you so when you start a new project you quickly learn who the most supportive people in your life are and to them i say thank you Uh, for your kind words and your encouragement. I've had a lot of really positive feedback, so thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And if you can, please try and make a donation either of your time or a monetary donation to any of the great organizations that are helping people right now affected by the California wildfires. Um, I'm going to post a list somewhere on the podcast Instagram if you need any ideas. Um, I think a lot of times when these disasters happen, people tend to give right away and then forget about it. But a lot of people are going to need help for a very long time. So if you could do that, that would be great. Art, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, and if you have a hard time giving to organizations that help people and you love animals, that's great too. The Ventura Humane Society could use some help. So can the one up north. You know, let's just help in whatever way. Everything adds up. If 100 people give 5 bucks, it's better than one person giving 500 bucks. Exactly. Give up your shitty coffee drink. Well, yeah, one Charbucks coffee. <laughs> Ugh. Anyways. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and don't be basic. Bye. Basic Boozy Bridget.